I was all set to publish a new episode, but then Coach Karen Buxton went out and did what I should have expected. Yesterday she competed at Ironman 70.3 Ohio, along with a few friends from our tri-team. First, I want to congratulate Neela Jones, Susan Hunger, Christine Holtz, and Joe Matthews for a job well done at 70.3 Ohio, and Dennis Hughes at 70.3 Oregon. Great day by all. I had been thinking about replaying Coach Karen's episode due to her coming full circle by helping me again with my swim as I prepare for 70.3 Boulder next weekend. I had taken over a year off from swimming due to COVID, and my swim was nowhere near where it needed to be. I had reached out to her because I needed her expertise, as well as her ability to force me to do the things I don't want to do, mainly drills of any kind. As I explained, my only goal was to improve my efficiency by 10 to 15%. Unlike her, I don't plan the podium or qualify for worlds, just get out of the water on two feet and have something left to bike and run at elevation. One of the coolest things about Ironman or any large event is the ability to track athletes. So I was able to have my phone and provide alerts of her and my other friends as they competed. Coach Karen showed early on as she came out of the water six in her age group that she was dialed in. She crushed her transitions, which were right around three minutes. Joe and Dennis, you may want to take note. She had an incredible bike of 241.22 and an equally impressive 213.50 on the run, giving her a time of 5 hours, 40 minutes, and 23 seconds, which made her sixth in her age group and a world's qualifier. The thing that most may not know is that she did all that three years removed from an anterior hip replacement, as well as overcoming breast cancer. For anyone thinking that an injury, medical condition, or surgery is the end of racing, I encourage you to sit back and revisit my conversation during mile number eight and the advice set forward by Coach Karen. Hey everyone, this is Pete Perusik, and I want to welcome you to this edition of the Weathered Athlete Podcast, a place for us to honor those athletes that refuse to go quietly into the night. As a weathering triathlete and a physical therapist, I will spend my time talking with those athletes that continue to make the necessary repairs and continue to move forward. They may have a few cracks in their foundation or a squeaky step, and their patinas may continue to fade, but they are no less glorious than years prior. In fact, I feel they have more heart and resolve as they have weathered and can provide the pathway to set the standard that we should all live by. My goal is to determine what sets these individuals apart from the rest of society. After the discussion is over, I encourage you to stick around and hear a breakdown from a physical therapist's perspective of how this weathering athlete is able to keep moving forward. Don't forget to hit subscribe, leave a comment, and share with your friends. Today I'm honored to have Coach Karen Buxton with me for mile number eight. She had an instrumental role as I made my transition into triathlon. She has a certification as a level three USAT triathlon coach. She is a two-time Kona and two-time Race Across America participant. She provides great insight into the logistics and the interpersonal dynamics of participating in a long endurance event with a team. She is a seven-time USA Triathlon All-American and is a fixture on the podium at most local events and has placed in her age group at multiple national and world duathlon or triathlon races. She is the race director for two events locally that benefit Team Tri for Hospice, which she founded in honor of her brother. To make a donation or for more details on this 501c3, please visit www.tryforhospice.com. We discuss how she has navigated life as she has aged and how she is in uncharted waters as she works to return to sport activity after her recent total hip replacement. She provides great insight into how through the use of cross training and adequate recovery, she works to minimize risk of injury to herself and the athletes she coaches. I hope you enjoy. Pete. Hey coach, how are you doing? Good, how's it going? It's going good. I thank you so much for at least uh, spending some time with me. It's a great idea and the, and the different different people that you're, you know, you're talking to, I think it's, um, you know, it's it's a really cool thing to do. So, so yeah. with, I, just one step back, tell me about the perceived exertion question. Okay, so what happened is as I've been doing, um, looking at research and stuff as it, as it, goes to injury prevention for the aging adults. So there is a mindset of using session RPE. So let's say I biked yesterday and you put it on my routine, said, okay, Pete, I want you to go out and bike 31 miles. And 
when I'm done doing it, I give it a kind of a rating. Uh, zero would be no effort, me sitting on the couch. Ten mm-hmm. would be me going all out the entire time. And how would I perceive yesterday? So I, personally, yesterday, I would say it probably was a six or a seven for me. Um, I did do some uh, interval stuff during that time. So the nice thing about being in a group is you can be in a group, but then there's openings where I can hit it as hard as I want and do like 30 second bursts. And so I'm giving it maybe a nine or a 10, maybe for a short period of time. But a session RPE would be my overall rating from the start to finish. And what that would do if I said, okay, coach, I went out and I did that. This is my speed. I was at, I think we averaged just under 18 and we were about an hour and 50 minutes maybe. And I could say, okay, it was a seven for me on a scale of one to 10. That Mm -hmm. that gives you guideline to say, you know, Pete, I think that was good, but I think maybe we need to increase it here or we need to decrease it here. So that's all that question is. And yeah, I mean, my answer made sense. Like training peaks now uh, has happy faces. So I, I look at that for people, but you know, that the, the perceived exertion and especially with this, you know, the heat and humidity, you know, sometimes I'll go out and, you know, my heart rate is okay, but I just feel horrible. It feels yeah. like, oh, this was an aerobic workout, but I felt like I was climbing a mountain. So it's, it's kind of tricky. And, yeah. um, you know, if they're newer athletes, you know, sometimes they really don't know how it's supposed to feel or, you know, if they don't tolerate discomfort well, you know, they're, their eight could be yours and mine yeah. too. So yeah. it's, you really have to know yourself and, and know the athlete, I think too. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's why, you know, I, I ask my patients all the time when I'm doing, so how do you perceive that activity? And, and you're right. People don't really understand the question. So I, I think in some respects it works, but in others, I just don't think we can utilize it. So that's why I was just curious because it is built. I, I know it's built into most of the uh, training peaks that because I remember when I was training for, you know, uh, with the Crohn's and colitis, it was on there and it would tell me to rate it. And and honest, I'm not the best judge myself because, again, I can I can look at little peaks and valleys during that. And, you know, you're right. It's just I think it's very subjective. Um, yeah. but it's a tool and that's why I was just curious to see how many people actually use it. And again, it may not be appropriate for every athlete, but some yeah. athletes, you may need to say, Hey, look, you're doing a nine out of 10 every single time we need to back you down. Um, so I, I think there's some respect that it, it may come in it may be beneficial, but I get, I'm sure it's very in, individual. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of like what I've learned with, with pain and, you know, you go to the doctor's office and, they say, you know, what's your level of pain? And and generally I say to them, you know, pain is a hot poker in the eye. That's <laughs> that's pain. I'm I'm in discomfort. I'm uncomfortable. But yeah. unless I've really experienced real pain, you know, people have it's it's so it's all based on experience. Yeah. So you can look at that with uh, with training, too, that. You know, the more experience you have, the more ways you can look at your effort and and, you know, read the numbers and your perceived exertion and how all that fits. But really, beginning athletes have no context for it. Yeah, they don't. And that's where I think having you as a coach um, is really an appropriate aspect uh, just to try to help people guide through that process, because in the beginning, you just don't know. Um, it, it just, and even as a, somebody who's been doing it a while, you still don't know. Cause it's so easy to overtrain. I think that's the part of the other aspect too. I think of having a coach and somebody else to at least you can bounce ideas off of and say, okay, what are you feeling? And okay, maybe we need to talk about this and then we can adjust your program appropriately. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, like I said before, when, when I decided to put this venture together, honestly, you were on the top five list of people I really wanted to talk to for multiple reasons. But the first one was one, I have to give you a lot of blame and credit for basically me being where I am now and the things I've been able to accomplish over the past five years. You know, (laughs) 
the the biggest blame actually goes to Carrie Rubondo for inviting me to that swim clinic that you did back in January 2015. Yeah. Um, you know, typical Carrie, come on, it's going to be fun. You're going to enjoy it. And <laughs> at that point, I had never swam. I actually had to find my son's goggles that day and turned off the football game, told my wife, I said, I'm going to the swim clinic. And boy, I realized quickly I couldn't swim 25 yards across the pool. I had to stop three times. Yeah. Um, it was crazy. But you were so patient that day. And I kind of, even though it was hard and felt like we were in the pool for probably six hours, um, I, I felt enough that, you know, I need to give this a try. And then, you know, being part of that group that you helped to get us to our first one, our first 70.3 at Beach to Battleship that year. Um, I, I really appreciate all that you did to get me to where I was and, and basically helped me get hooked on this sport. So I thank you. That just, it seems like such a long time ago when about that, that group. And I mean, I, I just, I really, in, I mean, I enjoy working with all athletes, but I think my, my favorite is to work with, you know, beginners that set goals like that, that I want to do my first, my first sprint, or I want to do my first Olympic or first half or first Ironman to help guide them. And just, you know, to see people really enjoy it like you and go, all right, I met that goal. So yeah. let's put another one. And that's, it's really satisfying for me. I just, I, I, I love working with, with new athletes and getting them hooked in the sport. Yeah. So that, leading to that, then how long have you been in the sport? You know, that's when, when I was going through my notes, it'll be 30 years. Wow. My daughter was about nine months old when I did my first little sprint. Um, so it's, it's been, you know, it's a, it's a long time. And I think I've been, coaching since um 1999 2000 i believe so okay okay and how old do you coach i will be 58 years old on saturday okay so you were 28 and well happy birthday yeah. coming up <laughs> thank you <laughs> um okay so you've been about 28 when you picked it up so what did you do prior to that were you a runner or did you do anything in high school and college yeah I, you know i was traditional high school athlete played three sports a year i was um field hockey basketball and softball um one year we didn't have a i went to an independent school um we didn't have a uh, a girls soccer team so i played on the boys soccer team and then one of my my main sports which i continued on in college i was an alpine ski racer so i did giant slalom slalom and downhill racing Oh, okay. That's good. I didn't know that about you. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's why I like to go so fast on my bicycle. <laughs> and then, um, you know, um, went off to college and um, played. It was a small Division three school, so I played three sports a year. Um, and I, I went to two different colleges and then transferred to a school in Vermont and I ski raced for them, and then I also played rugby in the spring, um, which I loved. And then, again, was there for three years. One year I played tennis. One year I played field hockey. And then finally my senior year they got a, a soccer team, and I played on the soccer team. Awesome. So, yeah, you did pretty much a little bit of everything. That's great. So, I always, you know, I always would swim, bike, and run to get in shape for my team sports. And, you know, once I graduated college and got married and it was just when, you know, the Ironman craze was starting yeah. and I thought I could do a triathlon sometime. So. Okay. So you've, uh, you've placed at some events, correct? Um, yeah. You know, I've, I've qualified for Hawaii and competed in Hawaii twice. Um, before I got into the long distance racing, I, um, would uh, go to nationals and I've been on, uh, I think maybe, you know, 10 or 12 um, Team USA with duathlon and triathlon. So raced in, in Europe a lot, went to Australia, um, you know, Germany, Switzerland, Italy. Um, so did a lot of that and then switched over to racing more long distance stuff and, um, I think I've done 13 full Ironman, 13 or 14 full Ironman races. And then again, you know, did Hawaii twice. And that was, that was pretty fun. Wow. That was cool. When were you in Hawaii? I was in Hawaii. Um, all right. Let me think. 
2000, 2004, and then 10 years later, 2014. Wow, that's awesome. So what was your experience of there? Um, you know, the, the first year I did it, it was just to kind of, I just wanted to finish and survive. And <laughs> really, the, the, it was a, a hellaciously windy day. And um, I spent an hour longer on the bike than I'd planned. And it was just mentally very, very tough. And, um, you know, I, I finished and, and it was great. And they said, boy, this is, these are the worst winds we've had in in 10 years it was a brutal day for everybody and then sure enough 10 years later when i go and do it they say the same thing for you and yeah i was here 10 years ago so i know uh, but that year i you know i i raced it a little bit more as much as you can but it's just you know just to be there and and be surrounded by all these other incredible athletes and the um, you know, the, the, the special needs uh, athletes that are blind or in uh, wheelchairs or, yeah. I mean, those amazing. And, um, you know, it's just, it, it's a great experience. And, but it's, it's certainly one of the toughest races I've ever done both times. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I wasn't aware that you had, had done Kona. That's incredible. Um, so it, yeah, it was, it's, it's, it's tough to, to get a spot. And as you yeah. get older, doesn't get any easier because all the really tough athletes hang on and it's just uh it, it's a bit of a challenge to to qualify for yeah i'm sure that's why i said i've always joked uh, my goal is just longevity and then if i have to get in a charity slot then i'm that's what i'm gonna work on <laughs> that'll they, be my ticket yeah and, <laughs> and that's kind of cool about that race that they do you know it's probably 95 percent of people that have to qualify, you know, around the world. And then they have the, you know, the, um, the executive or the people that, that raise money for different foundations and, um, it's great experience for them also. That's cool. Um, I do have a question about the race across America. What can you tell me about that? Well, I, I've done that two times, um, with two teams. Um, the first time, again, my dates, I think we did it in, maybe 2000 oh boy maybe 2006 and then we did it like 10 years later so the first team i did it with was uh, a group of four women um and that year it started in portland oregon and we kind of went across the country and finished up in in pensacola um that that was an incredible experience we had four racers and a crew of like 12 um and uh, we were the only all women's team. So we, we won our division kind of by default. <laughs> uh, seven days, 14 hours and 55 minutes to, to get across the country. So wow, little experience. Um, and then we just did it. I did it with a group of friends here in, in Greensboro um, in 2016, I believe. Yeah. And. Uh, that was a co-ed team, so two male, two female, and we were a, a little bit slower, um, but it was still a, a great experience, and um, just it's a great way to see the country, and uh, it's it's interesting because you you really learn to that your mind can talk your body in and out of a lot of things, and that you just you know the, our motto was you just keep turning the pedals over, so that that, that was a great experience, and you really me to see uh, you really see people's kind of true colors and personalities when you put them under a little pressure and deprive them of sleep to <laughs> see really rises to the top and and how teamwork can work when you have all these outside um pressures that 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 affect the group um so that it was the sports psychology behind doing an uh, an event like that is really interesting to me yeah, so how many miles a day were you biking? Well, the total trip's just a little over 3,000 miles. So, you know, uh, over, you know, I've got it all on my Garmin. And uh, it, uh, we'd, we'd go in, in kind of shifts and just rotate through so you okay. everybody rest. So it's a tag team. Okay. So 
all times, there's always one person riding on of the team on the road. Okay, so like each turn, you know, was it 100 miles each time? Was it less than that? Was it more than that? What was your typical, do you think, average of? The, the, the first time we did it, when it was the all-women's team, our plan was um, that we had a, a kind of a, a, a rider chief who was in, just in charge of us. And he had planned the route out according to uh, your exertion. So I may have an hour stint, but I'm climbing, yeah. you know, so my effort that I put out is greater. And then you may go out and you were scheduled for three hours, but you were on flat to rolling. Okay. And what we found about a quarter of the way through the journey was it was really hard to get rest because you, you know, and, and again, you put people under a little bit of pressure and a little bit of tension. And all of a sudden one rider would go, well, God, Karen was just out there for an hour and I've been out <laughs> four hours. That's not, you never knew when you were going to rest and you get off the bike and you've got to, you've got to eat, you've got to change yeah. rest. And then before you know it, boom, you're back on the bike. So we had a bit of a, a mutiny with the uh, with our rider chief because one of the women hurt her back and went down so there were then three of us riding and then another rider kind of had a little uh a blow up and said well if she's not riding i'm not riding so yeah. we were and we regrouped so then our plan after that was we would split up into two teams so you and i would be a, a, a team and then the other two would be a team and we'd ride five hour shifts okay so when i run we would be 30 minutes on 30 minutes off for five hours and and what that did that allowed the off team to know they had five hours off the bike that's good we could eat and rest and get massage and sleep and be ready to go and then for you and i on the bike just mentally going all i have to do is ride for 30 minutes yeah. and the tired you are you can ride for 30 minutes and then when you get off the bike 30 minutes was long enough that you could if you needed to change your clothes get some solid food in you you could do that but not long enough that you'd fall asleep so that really worked well and we did that and we made our way across the country um the second time we did it, that was the original plan. And once again, the person that was in charge of the riders kind of moved away from that. And, uh, you know, we had some instances where the, the, that group was out there way too long and it kind of fell apart. Yeah. So faster for women than we were uh, a co-ed team when we went across. It's such an interesting concept, and you're right. There's so many things you have to take into account. Oh, it's, you know, with, it's, and the crew is so important. Yeah. The support mechanism, and, you know, the the crew can't, can't make the ride, but they certainly could break it because you get, you know, one person that's a downer, and it affects yeah. everything. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, being able to come together and, the, the crew, I mean, their main, their goal is to keep the riders on the bike, um, bikes. And then our main goal as riders is just to shut up and pedal and just, <laughs> um, you know, the, there's groups of four. There's also uh, teams of two. Those guys are amazing. Wow. And then to, the solo riders that go across, I mean, those guys are really amazing and just a, a certain breed. I certainly know. <laughs> I would never want to do it by myself. I'd love to do it again in another four-person team and, and, and go for a record. And really, um, I think the third time would be a charm because I learned so much from it from those other two times that, um, you know, it would be fun to do it again. But it's really, it's an expensive venture to yeah. do. Um, you know, it's about both times we spent about $30,000 to fund. Um, so it's, that that's, that's the the logistics are the most difficult part yeah, of, of doing an event like that. Yeah. And you also, did you raise money too for charity? Yeah. The first year we raised um, money for, it's a, it's kind of like an international rotary group called uh, Zanta. 
Santa International, and one of their little wings was they uh, raised awareness for violence against women and children, and that was kind of our that was our platform. So we raised awareness awareness about that for them, and and raised money for them. And then the second time we did it, um, you know, with my passion and commitment raising money for hospice we uh that was our our uh, our goal we raised money and awareness for hospices uh here in north carolina but then we um highlighted there's time stations as you move across the country and we tried to reach out to at least one hospice in each state that we that we were going through so that they could use us for exposure and um you know we that was really cool. We had people that would stop us while we were moving around and say, what are you doing? What's up? My mom was in hospice and here I, they just would write a check for us. And, and that was great. So it was, you know, we didn't raise a ton of money, but I think the exposure we got to, to, you know, the awareness about hospice and what hospice can do was, was really rewarding for us. Oh, that's incredible. I'm glad to hear that. So, Let's transition to, I know you had some uh, hip issues. What can you tell me? Well, you know, throughout my athletic career, high school and college, I really never had any major, major injuries. I, you know, broke a couple bones and, you know, some muscle pulls and things like that. Um, then as I got involved in more in triathlon and and cycling, I had one little crash uh, on a mountain bike and sprained my left hip and that kind of set me back for a little bit and rehabbed from that and then um i had a a bike crash uh doing a pre-race brick before a race going you know 10 miles an hour just finishing up a ride and came down there was a railroad track kind of on a double fall away and um it had just started raining and i got across two tracks got across the first track going across the second and on the other side of the track there was a metal plate and my bike slid out from underneath me I landed on my hip it ended up fracturing my pelvis in two spots so that kind of derailed my season that year uh came back from that and I think I did maybe two Ironmans following the recovery from the um the the pelvis fracture and did the New York City Marathon, and my, you know, my back had been bothering me for a long time, but it, in, in effect, it was my hip, and the the crash kind of accelerated some arthritis that I had in there, so it kind of a bad hip to a worse hip, and then uh, two years ago, I decided I just, uh, the discomfort was way too much, and um, I had a total hip replacement. Yeah. So when was it? It was two years ago. It was two years ago. Um, so let me think. 2020. I believe it was 2018. Hold on. I think I might have. Yep. 2018. Okay. And what did the, uh, how was the surgeon when you went in to get it done? What was his recommendations? I guess, knowing what you do. Well, when I first went into them, um, we, you know, surgery was the, you know, kind of the last resort. He tried a, a cortisone shot into the hip joint to see if it would help calm everything down. And it, it really didn't do much. Um, again, and my, my, you know, I was okay with not being able to run, but it started affecting my day-to-day -day life that, you know, the discomfort probably like six months before I, you know, went, I, I'd been to with my history of breast cancer, I see the doctor a lot. And all of a sudden, my blood pressure was really high. So I had high blood pressure. And looking back on it, that the high blood pressure was being caused by the constant pain that I was in, because after the hip replacement, my blood pressure was fine. So okay. that underlying, you know, the, just that constant ache, and, you know, then bike riding became uh, uncomfortable. Swimming became uncomfortable. So I really, when he finally went in and did it, he said, I can't believe you were actually even walking on this hip because it was so it was bone on bone and there were cysts in there and it was just, it was pretty nasty. So um, I uh, just, I 
prepared for it and went into the surgical center, had it done on a you know Wednesday morning, and I was home by Thursday afternoon. And actually, the recovery from the hip replacement was a lot easier um, than the the fractured pelvis. Um, I immediately felt better after after having the the hip replacement. Okay. So what was the guidelines as far as return to activity? Um, pretty amazing that, um, you know, I was on a, after the surgery and that evening, they had me in a walker making my way down the hall a little bit. So I was on, on a walker for a couple of days, transitioned to crutches, uh, transitioned to a cane, and they had me on a stationary bike at maybe seven days out. So it's the healing process was, you know, really quick, but it took a good two years for me to rebuild the muscle and the strength and the stability from the surgery, the, the muscle tightness and, um, you know, the, the, the trauma that the muscles suffered when they dislocated the hip to, you know, do the replacement in the hip socket. And then again, they cut the head of my femur off and jammed a new um, head of the femur into the thigh. So that, yeah. that re- I think people don't realize the, the trauma that the muscles suffer and what you have to do to get back to where you were before. Yeah, I know you didn't run for a long time, correct? You know, my, uh, my surgeon is, uh, was, was a friend of mine. I coached his daughter at field hockey, in field hockey at Greensboro Day School, and he kind of knew he knew my history and he, he took care of my hip when I, when I fractured my pelvis. So he knew um, my background and I talked to him about running again and he's, he's not for it. And I understand that because as a physician, he doesn't want to have a failed hip, his resume. (laughs) So my rationale to him was, you know, this is like a 20 year hip, correct? And he said, yeah, I mean, it should last you maybe even longer than that. I said, so if I start running again and it wears out sooner, you know, so now I've got to have it done in 10 to 12 years. Wouldn't you rather do a, a revision on a younger patient than when I'm 75? He said, well, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that it's going to have to be done. So why not, if I can run, I'm not, not going to be stupid about it. If it's going to be painful and I can feel that it's not right, I don't have to run, but I'd like to. And I really don't need to do another Ironman or a marathon again, but I still want to stay fit and, and stay healthy. And, um, you know, if I do it correctly, I think I'll be all right. And he said, okay, okay, just promise me you won't run for a year. So I, I followed that. I didn't run. I would cycle strength training. I would deep water run. I'd swim. I'd do the elliptical and I walked a lot. And then when I was, and he did an x-ray and everything was set. Everything looked really good. And then I just slowly started running again. Um, I utilized um, Damien at uh, Greensboro Sports Chiropractic, had Mm -hmm. a zero gravity treadmill. And I used that for a little bit um, just to kind of get my running motion going um i ran walked for a lot and um just this past march before the covid hit and everything i did a a half marathon and i mean the hip was great um now i've kind of scaled back my running i'm signed up to do my first uh half ironman in augusta in september and last summer i did do a couple sprint triathlons and again the hip the hip was fine. The back was fine. It, you know, I wouldn't, I don't really don't know that I've got an artificial hip in there. So, but I've, I've I'm really conservative with my miles. Um, I still do a lot of deep water running, um, strengthening and stretching is key and, um, you know, just fingers crossed and, um, I'll start building up again s- slowly to be able to do the half marathon at the end of, um, hopefully the half, the, um, half Ironman in September. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I know as far as biking, I know we biked what three weeks ago we did seventy three miles. How did how'd that feel that day and after? Yeah again, it is not a problem. The hip itself never never hurts. It's you know, the other side, what I learned 
that my right side was compensating for the left for such a long time um, that I've had, I've really focused now on, on my right leg to kind of get that back and, and um, make sure to have to re I had really had to retrain this left leg because I would notice pedaling on the bicycle that I was really just focusing on the right leg. So to mm-hmm. retrain like to, to pitch in fairly. Um, and so that's kind of now I've just got to really pay attention more to my right leg that it's not doing more work than, than the left side. Yeah. Cause you don't want to wear out that side in the process. You know, and I'm kind of this, this right hip is okay. Uh, you know, even before all this happened, when I first sprained my left hip, they did an x-ray and went, you know, you're going to be prone to arthritis in these hips and just the way that my, my structure is. So, you know, at some point, this right hip will probably have to be replaced. But um, if I can, you know, not fracture it and like I did to the other side, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully I can prolong it. But so far, so good. And um, again, I'm not overdoing the running. And if it ever if I ever feel like I'm doing damage or, you know, I'd really, I'd miss running cause it's so easy, especially when you travel just to be able to pop your shoes on and head out the door and to be able to get a good, good workout in. But I really don't feel the need that I, you know, I could, I could stop doing them and just do, you know, aquathons and ride my bike. Cause the, the biking is by far my favorite. Yeah, that's great. You know, as we talked, you are, it's so interesting to me as a PT because you're basically in uncharted waters. We're still trying to navigate this whole thing of hip replacements and activity. Yeah, and I think it's as we were talking before. It's so individual, and yeah. uh, I'm fortunate that I have a light frame. You know, if I were 20 pounds overweight, that's a different story. Um, I'm fortunate that at least I feel I've got really good run form. Um, I haven't had that many, uh, you know, uh, any injuries. The, the hip stuff was, is the most. I had a stress fracture in my foot early on, and that was just I actually I had a coach and just doing too much speed work, too much volume, and you know I learned a hard lesson from that. But other than that, I've been fairly injury free, and um, as I've gotten older. I try to be proactive. So I do go see a chiropractor and get kind of tune-ups. I, 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 and I like to tell my athletes, you need to go to these therapeutic visits before something becomes a problem. Um, Cause then you can keep it at bay. I massage therapy is really, you know, I try to go at least every three weeks to a month. If I'm in some bigger training, I try to go every two weeks. That's okay. kind of, one big indulgence. So I really find that that helps. Um, core strength and stability strength workouts. So I do a lot of body weight stuff to work on the stabilizers. And, you know, your core is so important and, and posture. I sit at my desk a lot, so I have to really pay attention to how I sit. Or, you know, for me, my body is the happiest when it's in motion. And when I'm sitting around or, um, you know, noodling around the house is when I get, you know, I hurt my back or do something. So um, being aware of your body when you're doing other things, not athletically, I think is key. That's good. How often are you doing strength training a week? You know, now it's most, it's all body weight stuff in the winter. Um, And again, since the gyms were closed down, I have some uh, kettlebells and free weights at the house. But when I'm in a bigger volume kind of quote race season, I just do a lot of body weight stuff. So I try to do that a couple of days a week. Okay. Then a transition out of the, 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 in, into the winter season, I'll, I'll hit the, hit some weights, some just basic multi-joint exercises just to help keep my uh, muscle mass and, and strength up. Okay. And I know you were doing a lot of yoga too, right? Yeah, I try to, um, you know, I've got a great app. It's called Down Dog. I do that. I've got some friends that aren't, um, you know, quote athletes. They and we call, we do yoga club. We meet and 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 do yoga together. So that's been very helpful. And just again, muscle awareness and breathing. And um, you know, you can do gentle yoga to some really hard stuff. So I I, I like it. It's uh, it, it's a great addition and it's easy to do. And you can do it anywhere. 
Yeah, that's great. You know, I, uh, we did that one yoga class together, and you, even with your hip, you're a lot more flexible than I am. <laughs> well, I could, it's amazing what I can do now with the hip compared to when it was was going bad. And uh, you know, again, Damien has really worked on the hip, getting my flexibility, and you know, breaking up a lot of that scar tissue in there. And he's been, you know, really instrumental in in, in helping me navigate this hip. So, um, you know, he's got magic hands in, in that regard and he's been really, really helpful and a good resource for me. Yeah, that's awesome. So as far as uh, sleep for you, do, does it affect you much if you don't get sleep before an event? Yeah, you know, um, when I had, uh, I had my, my breast cancer and um, then I had some some other issues with my ovaries and I had a cyst and decided to just have both of my ovaries removed um, after my breast cancer stuff. And that kind of forced me into well, it did force me right into menopause. So sleep for yeah. the next five years was really, really difficult for me. Um, uh just with the hormonal changes and everything and that really really tough so um and as i've gotten older i I require more sleep and more rest so that that's been a bit of a challenge um and just trying to um you know turn my mind off and get sleep so it's it's getting better and better um you know, I've tried some different, um, I'm not a huge su- supplement person, but mm-hmm. tried melatonin and now with some CBD stuff, I've found some, um, some relief with that. And I think just getting used to the new hormonal level has helped too. Um, okay. But rest is really, really important. And, you know, I've been doing it for so long the night before I, you know, I don't really don't get nervous. I just, so it's never... Uh, I mean, it, I don't, it's just another night for me. Okay. And I'm always at the, the night before that I get a lot of rest because, you know, that race day, often if you're doing a long race, I'm up at three or four o'clock in the morning just preparing for it. So, um, but yes, as I've gotten older and I really pay attention, I've got a Garmin and I, I look at my sleep and I can see if I'm getting deep sleep or, so that's been kind of fun. I've been, I've been looking at that. Um, and then I kind of use myself as a guinea pig for my, for my, my athletes and, you know, to, to use my experiences to help them as they navigate. Um, you know, I work with a handful of older athletes, a couple older than me, and I think that's been helpful in, in my guidance for them, just my experience. Yeah, that's good. I want to get into that if you don't mind in a second. But I do have one follow-up question since you mentioned uh, the menopause. You know, the issue is when women enter menopause, your bone density decreases. And, you know, we're taking away some of your weight-bearing activity stuff now with the running. Um, have you had a discussion with your doctor about bone density or how is your bone density? You know, with with the uh, <clears throat> with my breast cancer, that they kind of monitor that. And that was kind of a, a, a you know, that's the, to me, that's a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. And I did send that to him. I said, yeah. you know, you get, and all the studies with, again, what I've learned with, with the breast cancer protocol and then with the hip replacement protocol, they're done on a standard population. And I'm really, I really don't fit into yeah. that. So I, I say, we have to look at this differently. So you look at my history and this is what I said to my doctor, now you're taking away a, a weight bearing activity. And so in general, that's going to hurt me. So it's mm-hmm. the double sword. But if I run and I do it incorrectly, that's going to affect the integrity of the new joint. So I always look at the lesser of the two evils or am I going to get more gain? And my thought was, you know, the weight bearing is going to keep my overall joint health and bone health healthier. So I'm willing to take that risk again with my hip. If he has to revise it five or 10 years earlier. I'm okay with that because I'll be, you know, 65 years old or 70 and that's fine. Um, you really don't, as soon as the triathlon training and racing is not fun anymore, I'll stop. But I just, I enjoy it. It's part of my lifestyle. I meet great friends. You know, a lot of my 
my coaching clients become really good friends and it's been good for me and, and great for my family. We've traveled around. So that joy that I receive from competing and working with other clients is much more important to me than, you know, that that it just improves my whole quality of life. So that's the way I, I have to look at it. No, and I think that's right. Again, you're not going out and running a marathon every month. So I think, again, you're doing it correctly and you're being cautious. So I think you can I think you can do both. I think you can increase your bone de- or maintain your bone density without actually uh, breaking that hip down quicker. Yeah. And again, if at any point that I go, oh, something's not right. I mean, I'm not being foolish about it. And I've seen, you know, I talked to um, somebody, uh, was a guy probably a little bit younger than me and he just had a hip replacement in February. So February, March, April, May, June, July. So he's five, six months out. And he said, yeah, the running thing is just not going well. And I thought, you know, I didn't say, (laughs) wow, you're running already. Yeah. You know, if you're going to do it, you need to do, and I think as you, as a physical therapist and dealing with triathletes, the majority of triathletes are type A people. It's, you know, the more, you got to do more volume, you got to do it faster, you got to do it harder, you know, that no pain, no gain mentality. And that is just, it. that's what devastates people. So you really have to be patient with recovering from an injury and especially with something like this and you just you have to be smart about it and you have to know your own body and know the the signals and um you know i i do make my living out of it but not like a pro athlete so you know i still continue to be a coach and can still continue to maintain my fitness not having to race even though i love it so you have to find that balance and know when to say you know, you need to stop. Yeah, that's good. So, so then coach going into when you're training athletes over the age of 50, uh, one, you have a lot of great experience, but how are you handling them differently as far as their training plans and everything compared to say someone in their twenties and thirties? Well, what I've learned from just my experience and working with old other older athletes that, recovery becomes so much more important you need more time to recover and you know that may mean that an athlete may can only handle one quote hard workout a week and that the recovery process is that much longer um so that's that's one thing another thing is especially with female athletes older women you know maintaining muscle mass is Mm -hmm huge and that strength training is a, a year-round activity so you know someone over 50s strength program may look different than a, a younger person's um, so I think the big difference is is knowing what their body can handle again you know a lot of people over 50 I have to look at what they do for work are they on mm-hmm. their feet are they sitting behind a desk so you know, if they're on their feet all day and you give them a rest day, is it really a rest day if they're on their feet or, you know, if they're manual labor and they're lifting things? So it's that balance of, of managing their their work life and their family life with their athletic life so it all fits in and you're not continually breaking them down. Um, I try to talk to my athletes that you don't, you know, think about you don't get fitter while you're exercising you gain fitness when you're resting Mm -hmm. and ever rest or take a break. You're never going to gain, realize those fitness gains. And sometimes that clicks with them and sometimes it doesn't. So um, it just, I really have to be extra careful about reining people in and making them either taking the rest days or, you know, if they're going to do a recovery workout how slow and how easy that recovery workout has to be to actually be a recovery workout. So educating them on, on, on that. But I think that the two big things with older athlete is more rest and recovery and then maintaining that 
that uh, the, the muscle mass, because I forget the statistics when you hit certain ages, how much you just tend to lose. And it's the, it's really harder to get to get back. Yeah. So basically we say you're going to lose 10% every 10 years. So that's a 1% a year is pretty much the, the norm. So that's if, if you, at best case scenario. So now worst case scenario is you do nothing, you're going to lose more than that. And that's what happens is it ends up being a, a more drastic decline when you stop doing things. So um, yeah, you're right. It's you got to keep doing things one to just maintain what you have. And obviously you can still build on it depending where your starting point is, you know? Yeah. Um, so are you a big, as far as like active recovery during just straight out rest, I, I you may not be able to answer it cause it's going to be different uh, for other people. Uh, but are you a big, you sit on the couch, do nothing rest day, or are you doing like, you go for a walk, you go for a light swim, you, you do like a light spin on the bike. What are you recommending as the rest from say an Ironman event that week? I, I, I mean, I, what I've found is, and I see a lot of people, they'll, they'll train for an event, a half Ironman or an Ironman, they do the race and then they do nothing for three months. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. <you know, laughs> You, you put in so much time and effort to, and you can lose that fitness very quickly. Yeah. So with an event like that, uh, I schedule an active recovery week for, for myself and for my athletes. Again, it depends on the athlete, at least a week, sometimes two, sometimes three weeks. But the 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 activity is just as important as yeah. the, so it could be the day after a walk um next day might be just a full day off uh the next day is an easy swim and i i don't put a certain set in i just say get in the water and move for 20 minutes just to help keep the blood flowing stretch out an easy spin the one thing i i, I hold back from people because the running is so uh, much stress on the body. Generally, I keep running out of the picture, land running for at least, again, depending on the athlete, anywhere from 10 days to, to two weeks. Okay. But that being said, I may prescribe a, a deep water run, again, just to get things moving and, and flowing. I tell you, I was not a big deep water running person until leading up to Chattanooga last year, I ended up having a little bit of uh, some hip soreness. So I got in the pool and did that for a couple of weeks just to kind of uh, make sure it didn't get any worse. And it was great. I was able to continue my, keep my fitness up, not lose anything. And I really don't feel like it set me back at all. It's, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful tool and it's, it's so, it's a great way. And for even some of my younger athletes, if, if they're into it, a lot of them just hate it. Yeah. It's a great, add some running volume to your schedule without all the pounding and the stress that a land run can do. And you can do anything you can do on land, you know, interval wise, you can mm -hmm. do in the pool. And I just, um, I try to water run two to three times a week, even now. Okay. Um, and it's a great recovery workout. It's a great specific workout. Um, you know, I've got a, some waterproof headphones that I put on and have my iPhone next to the pool and I can listen to podcasts or book, books on tape or um, music. Um, and it makes the time go really fast. That's great. So who are those individuals or groups that help you get through the good times and bad times? <laughs> well, yeah, my family support is huge. Terry's been um, the King Sherpa for 30 years. <laughs> um, you know, he loves going to races and cheering me on and my clients and um, we've traveled all over the world. So that that that's been key. And he's, you know, he, he's always been very, very supportive of, of my endeavors in, in that regard. Um, you know, I've got some great training partners um, in town that I ride with and yeah. uh, I've got uh, a group of, of of women, I think I mentioned that I do yoga with and you know, they, they're active, but they're not athletes. And when I've had some of my, you know, my injuries and, and bumps in the road, they've, they've always been there to, you know, let swim with me, or I'd say, all right, I, you know, I can't run, but let's train for this open water swim. And they were sports and they'd come to the open water swim with me or, 
when I first would get back into got back into running from my uh, my hip fracture and then the replacement, you know, it was a walk run and they'd come to the track with me or go out to Salem Lake and, you know, uh, they'd, they'd hang with me. So I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate to have my little tribe like that, um, that, that helps support me and, and keep me going. That's good. So tying into that, what advice do you have for someone who's just maybe not sure that they can you know, not that they're going to do Ironman, but to just be active, what advice do you have for people uh, to start exercising? I think getting out the door is the hardest thing. And there's plenty of mornings where I wake up and go, you know, I <laughs> at six or I know it's going to be 90 degrees to get on my bike. But once you get out there and you're, you're doing the workout, you know, you go, I'm glad I did that. But having a group of people it's always easier to to you know to get up and get out of the house to meet some to to know that you're meeting someone for a swim bike or run or whatever your form of exercise is you know all of a sudden you're accountable because yeah. that person that person needs you out there and you need that person out there so you know training with a group it's you know it's much it's more fun it's safer that motivation I've just, you know, I've ridden, I did that bike ride with the tri group and I hadn't done that in a long, long time. And it was really fun, that social aspect of it. Um, I think for people to, to have a plan and set goals and I, you know, why are you heading out the door? What, what's the purpose of this workout? Why, you know, and, and to have a plan. So number one, you don't get overtrained or, or injured. So, um, you know, and yet, yet, yeah, you just have to keep moving. And for me, with some of the the, the, the setbacks I've had, and, and even with the, the COVID situation now, just to be able to get out on my bike and escape, and I mean, that's been key to my physical and mental health. Um, you know, it's just that, that freedom of going out or knowing you're going to meet somebody and you're just going to leave everything behind and you're just, you're riding your bike. That's it. Yeah, you know, I have to give you credit, Coach. From I struggled in the beginning, which I think a lot of people did too, especially on the team when all this happened and things started getting canceled. Um, to see you on Facebook still doing some rides, still getting out there, was saying, you know, it, it was a good reminder for for myself to say, you know, I, yeah, I can I can do some of this stuff. Yeah, maybe it's not the same, but it definitely was good seeing you do stuff and the swims and um, which I haven't been in the pool or even been to uh, any of the open water stuff, which I know I need to, but it was, is actually a good reminder to me. So I appreciate that. Uh, it's, you know, I've, uh, I think through, and we talked about experiences um, and with my, <clears throat> my, effort I put towards raising funds and, and, and money for hospice. I, the little background about that was my, my brother had cancer. He came to my house to die. And, you know, yeah. that that's in the back of my mind. And the fact that I can go out and, you know, do this stuff, it's, you know, I feel really lucky. And the first race I did after he died, it was, uh, the New York city, um, uh, Iron Man, and that was post uh, breast cancer for me. So yeah. the fact that I could even just be out there, I was happy, and I didn't care if I, you know, set a personal record or it took me 16 hours to do it. I was just happy that I could be out there racing. And then when I had my hip accident, I thought, oh my God, I'm never going to be able to run again. Yeah. And then, good again, it can always be worse. And the fact that I can get out there and and still compete and and or train with my clients it's just every day i feel lucky and the same thing with you know when the COVID hit i wasn't going to let that stop getting out and 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 being able to do what i uh, i like to enjoy and to share that with with other people and say come on we can't just hide from this let's get out and do it while we can because you never know what tomorrow is going to bring no, and that's such a great lesson. And honestly, I, I love everything you've done with with hospice uh, over the years since I've known you. And it's such a great cause. And uh, yeah, so I, I thank you for everything that you've done. Well, it's been, I've got a great, 
again, we talk about support, mm-hmm. my board, and just the community, uh, the Greensboro community and the tri-team and, you know, everybody's kind of rallied around it. And it's been a real community effort. And I mean, it's been fun. And I just, I don't know if you saw, I had to post today yeah. that you're going to have to cancel just the uncertainty and, you know, sponsorship and stuff, but hopefully we'll be back. And I love Jason Nance's quote, you know, that's fine. We'll just have to set new records next year and you just yeah. have to, all right, it's a bump in the road, but we'll come back and we'll be bigger and better and it'll be fun and we'll we'll bounce back from it. Yeah, I agree with that. I saw that, that you had to cancel. Now, um, are we still able to donate to that or did you close down registration? Registration will be open for the event and, and you know, we're okay, hoping, good. You know, this is, last year we were able to donate almost $10,000 between our, our ride and our run to hospice and you know, they, I'm sure they're suffering from this mm-hmm. COVID stuff and they've just merged with another hospice. So I'm hoping that people will still, you know, I know it's tough for a lot of people, but even, you know, $10 here, you know, it all that we'll be able to, to, to donate um, a good portion of what people want to donate to, to give it to hospice. So uh, yeah, that'll be open and, and Rich and Libby handle that for us and they're going to adjust the run sign up. Um, uh, stuff to 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 account for that okay perfect i'm glad to hear that um and then so do you have any special mantras or quotes that get you through well i think you know what we're talking about um you know for me getting out there and and i think uh getting out there because i can and mm-hmm. because i choose to um and that i feel lucky that every day i when I get out to train or bike or run or swim. So um, when we were doing the, uh, the first um, event for try for hospice, it, you know, I think Jane Gibson who works for hospice, she, she interviewed me and, and we were talking about, you know, why I'm doing this. And it was just, I'd lost my brother and my mother was also diagnosed with breast cancer and I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I said, you know, I, I, I do this for those who can't. Yeah. And there's so many people that, you know, they stuff happens in their life and, and they can't get out and, and do things. So I just thought, so when you mentioned what, what my miles are for yeah. and, and, and my miles are for those who can't. So yeah. I think that's a mantra. Yeah, that, that's that's great. As you know, I started that one because of I, I feel blessed to be able to do anything that I'm doing. So, you know, I had a childhood friend uh, die of cancer when we were in high school. And then you know, my friend Paula passed away what, four years ago now. And it's just I feel so lucky that I, I'm basically going to enjoy every day that I have. So that's why I said, you know, for me, it's just a journey, just to enjoy all this this experience. And I think it gets lost. We get so caught up with all the negativity and all the things that are going on in the world that I think if we just focused on what is just important to us, I think things would be so much better, and I think we'd be happier. Yeah, you know, <laughs> another one of my little taglines, and I've seen it before, it's, you know, it's all about fun. Yeah. And not having fun doing something – what's the point? And that's, I say to people, you know, fun is the best thing to have, <laughs> you know, and it doesn't cost you anything. Nope. You know, you could have the best bike, you know, all this material stuff, but if you're not having fun with it, what's the point? Yeah, I agree. Hey coach, I thank you so much for taking the time with me today. Yeah, I really enjoyed it and uh, appreciate you chatting with me for a little bit. It was fun. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and were able to get some insight into how one weathering athlete approaches each day of training and racing to stay as injury-free as possible. I believe her biggest strength is her ability to draw on her past experiences as an athlete and a coach. Her incredible drive and work ethic has led her to many podiums as well as to starting a nonprofit that benefits hospice. As a coach, her voice or reason is well needed at times and her ability to overcome the health obstacles in her life provide an example of what is possible no matter what your age. As she continues to recover from her total hip replacement, she joins a growing group of aging athletes that are looking to push the boundaries of what is possible. As she states, the most important thing in her life is quality of life, 
As a physical therapist, I feel her approach to cross-training and her willingness to not run for a full year after surgery will have a lasting impact on her longevity. Through the assist of her healthcare team, her experience, and knowledge as an athlete and a coach, she has placed a significant importance on recovery and rest. Her work with hospice provides a guidepost to help reinforce that everything we do in training and racing is more meaningful with a purpose. I am thankful our paths crossed that Sunday afternoon at the pool, and I appreciate her insight as she has helped me along my journey. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. If you find today's or any other episode inspiring, I ask you to consider joining our patron program. Details can be found at www.weatheredathlete.com. Also, please don't forget to hit subscribe to this podcast, share with your friends, give me a rating on iTunes, leave me a comment or drop me a line if you feel you have what it takes to enter the Weathered Athlete Podcast. Lastly, no matter how you complete your miles, I encourage you to use the following hashtag, my miles are for, as a way to reinforce the purpose of those miles. As always, my miles are for the journey. Be perusing.